It's been quite a, a week of contrasts. Um, we hear of yet another shooting, school shooting in Florida, and um, just devastated at the, the tragic and senseless loss of life. Um, and yet, <coughs> um, uh, reminded just of our frailty and our, our mortality and um, just how broken this world is. And, you know, when we face um, such realities, it, it, it is, you know, it hurts. It's, it causes the heart to ache. And, you know, the only remedy for that ache is the coming of Christ and the renewing of, the, of things. And, you know, and for me, I know that every time something of that nature happens, um, you know, people say, why, God, why? And the reality is that the answers have been given in the Scripture. Um, the heart of man is wicked. The heart of man is wicked. And this is why we see such things happen. And, you know, we may not see ourselves as being as wicked, but then we surprise ourselves at just the capacity that we have to be, you know, in our own way. You know, and the reality is it's just a matter of degrees that separate us. Not academic degrees, but it's just a few steps, you know. And so it causes us to recognize all the more our need for Jesus, the temporary nature of this life. This life is going to pass away. I was out preaching in Lewisham with the guys yesterday, and uh, a friend and a brother in the Lord I saw he came over and he, he grabbed my hand while I was preaching. And it, it's, it seems recently, where's Mikey? Recently, a lot of people have been coming up to us while we're preaching and wanting to engage with us, whether it's to shake our hand or take a track or whatever. And um, he kind of, he grabbed my hand, but he held on to it. And I knew that I kind of needed to give him a moment of attention. And he, he, he had tears in his eyes and he was just sharing that he had suffered a bereavement and um, that his grandmother just last he just heard last this morning that last night she went to be with the lord and again it was just in that instant in that four minute conversation with him on the on the high street in lewisham there being able to give the comfort of the gospel knowing that that's the only thing that makes sense um but it makes sense you know it's not a stretch it's it's not a reach but actually jesus is alive Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And all who believe in me, though they die, yet they shall live. And that's a promise that we have complete assurance of. Why? Because Jesus lives. Having died, having been killed. And so how does that relate to our stewardship focus? This world is temporary. And the things of this world are going to pass away. Those things that we're slaving for, we're striving for, we're reaching for, in a moment they'll be gone. And we'll wonder why. Why did we invest so much of ourselves going after these things? And you know, the, the, the bigger reality is we'll probably be gone before they are. Still with the same outcome. Why would we give ourselves? Why would we cling so tightly? Why would we allow these things to have such importance in our lives? And so thank the Lord that he is good and he's kind and he's generous and he's provided redemption, rescue, freedom in Jesus. Freedom. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? He who the sun sets free free indeed, really free. And we don't have to be enslaved to materialism and, you know, keeping up with whoever and being able, having to have this and this status and this respect and, you know, we don't have to. We're, we're free from that in Christ Jesus. He set us free. 
because he has revealed to us the bigger picture and brought us into it. He shows us our place in the bigger picture. Praise be to God. And so as we continue with our stewardship focus, um, you know, we've talked about what stewardship is and what it is we have been given stewardship of. Um, we we began to talk about why we are called to be stewards and endeavor to be faithful in that. And yet, we, we need to kind of break things down a bit more practically and consider, okay, how does that look on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? And so, we're going to talk again this week about money in a more practical sense. And I felt like being provocative and saying that this is the, the message that's going to teach you how to, to get rich quick. <laughs> and it is going to be the message that's going to teach you how to get rich quick. But hopefully by now, you actually realize that the definition of rich is not the same one that you're hoping it is. <laughs> and so um, we're going to give some consideration to some practical things. And the fundamental focus is going to be that of giving. It's going to be that of giving. And I heard somebody once say, you know, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord of all. That's an Albert Kuyper quote. And then they went on to say, that includes our money. He's either Lord of it all or he's not Lord at all. And um, often people get nervous. They get uncomfortable when it comes to the matter of giving and being challenged as to what to do with our money. And I I just want to reassure you from the outset, God doesn't need our giving. God made everything. Luke 16, that in verse 15, he said, look, the things that men esteem are count as an abomination. We looked briefly at that last week. The things that, you know, the positions and the power and the, the, the money, the wealth, the riches, all of these things are nothing to God. In fact, the way in which they impose on his glory and his rightful status cause them to be an abomination in his sight. These trivial man-made things. God doesn't need our giving, but we need to give. We need to give in order to condition our hearts against the idolatry of materialism. Because all of us face that temptation consistently, especially here in London. All of us do. And this is God's antidote to materialism. This is God's vaccination against that greed creeping in and taking over our hearts. And so we'll talk about giving, but we'll also talk about how we give. How we give. Because there are a lot of issues around that. You know, you have those who ask, well, is it meant to be 10%? Is that, the, is that the legitimate means of giving as a believer? Is, is it a case of actually it's supposed to be the first fruits? So it's going to be your giving calculated on your gross before tax. <clears throat> Some would say, you know what? Just give when you can and don't worry about it if you can't. Well, what does the Bible say? And so we're going to look at Galatians 6. Verses 6 to 10 as our anchor point. Jesus spoke more about money than anyone, anyone else. It is said that 15 to 20% of all that Jesus said was about money. Imagine what that would look like in a calendar year. 15 to 20% of our teaching being around money. For some people, it's 80% of their calendar year. 
And so there's definitely a balance that needs to be redressed. But Galatians 6 says this, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father God, we thank you for your goodness towards us. Most famous verse in the Bible states that you gave. You didn't just give advice. You didn't just give instructions. You didn't even give secret keys. You gave your son. Your most precious precious gift that you could give. And so, Lord, as we stand here contemplating, you know, what is it that you have instructed for us in response to having given your son for us? Lord, we ask that you would have us be open-hearted and be open-minded. Because, Lord, your will for us is better than ours for ourselves. And so we just commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it is said that you make a living from what you get. You make a life by what you give. There's Mama Shirley. Thank you for that. Is she here? No? Um, she reminded me of this quote. Where is she? Hiding in the corner. Thank you, Mama Shirley. I told you I would use it. <laughs> You make a living from what you get. You make a life by what you give. The kingdom of God is not like life. It's not regular. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And so, the way up is down. Humble yourself, and you'll be exalted. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If someone offends you, forgive, don't take vengeance. All of these things are countercultural and they fly in the face of social norms. And so when we talk about giving, we recognize that we're not even talking about that which we're recognizing to be a social norm. Although people, you know, can be very benevolent and very generous and often do that for various motives, often good motives wanting to genuinely see people benefited. But we're talking here about a spiritual discipline, the spiritual discipline of giving, which is a mandate for us as kingdom people. In our verses, we see two fundamental types of giving actually spoken of. One is to share and the other is to sow. One is to share and the other is to sow. And we see this reflected in various aspects of the New Testament. So it's important that we recognize that when the Bible speaks about giving and even in the New Testament, it speaks about it in specific ways, not just generic ways. First and foremost, we have to address the heart from which we give. The heart from which we give. So, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. As wonderful as cryptocurrency is, it's not going to redeem anyone. Some of you, you will know that I've been talking about bitcoins and so on a little bit. And, you know, on a level, there's a revolution taking place. It's a quiet storm. 
and it will change the world in the way that the electricity has or the internet has. A lot of skeptics are looking at me like, yeah, 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 whatever. Just remember I tell you, yeah? <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's still earthly. And it has limitations in that regard. Because moth and rust may destroy. And thieves are able to break in and steal. You know, it's said that there are people who have kind of dabbled in the, the cryptocurrency world, and, and that's basically um, digital currencies where people will be, for those who are unfamiliar, moving away from pounds and dollars and yen and getting into bitcoins and ethereum and digital currencies that are global currencies that people will use to be able to make transactions from one individual to another, no bank needed. And yet, even in this you know, whole new world that's emerging, there are already horror stories. People losing the key to their um, wallets, their digital wallets, and losing their currencies forever. Gone. People's um, wallets getting corrupted. I mean, there's all kinds of issues. And so there is no fail-safe, foolproof way of amassing treasures on earth. There is none. And so the answer is to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because they're secure there. Once that treasure's been banked in glory... It's absolutely secure, and it will remain, and it will even increase in value given time with no risk of loss. You know, you always get the, the small print, fast talk at the end of any kind of investment marketing. Please be aware that any, any investments you make are subject to them, loss as well as gain, and they just kind of zip through it quick. No small talk, no fast talk and small print with heavenly treasures. But the real issue is this. It's not even the security of the treasure, but it's the condition of our hearts. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now notice it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It actually doesn't say that, and it doesn't work that way. Because our hearts are fickle and subject to change. So we may set our heart on the Lord and be given over in devotion and really earnestly pursuing Him. And then this inheritance comes. And all of a sudden, our eyes are taken off Jesus. Think about what I can do with this money. Think about the, the opportunities it offers me. And, and so it's not even the strength of our devotion and commitment, but it's that which we truly value as treasure that will hold our hearts. And so are you able to see Jesus as the treasure that surpasses all other? That's the question. Does he mean that much to you? Do you value him that much? In the context of money, the Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's speaking to Christians who understand that God's Undeserved favor, kindness, and generosity has been poured out in Christ Jesus to those of us, all of us, who are sinners. And for those who believe, we recognize that we deserve judgment. We don't deserve money. We, de we don't deserve blessings. We don't deserve anything. And yet God in his kindness has given his son for us. 
and rescued us from certain judgment and wrath that is to come. And we understand that to be grace. And so knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. I heard once um, somebody give the illustration of, I think it was actually John Corson, uh, back in the day. He said, imagine this. You, as an individual, were in an era where you could be transformed into another form. You could be morphed into another form. And have you seen what they do with 3D printing? They can print organs, bodily organs, using 3D printers. So this isn't science faction. <laughs> but you're in an era when you're, you're able to be transformed into another form and somebody says, look, there's, there's a great need. Um, cockroaches are about to become extinct. And you need to be transformed into a cockroach in order to be able to go and save them and communicate to them salvation and how they can be saved. Who's going to volunteer? Who's going to volunteer to become a cockroach? Now, you know and I know what we do when we see cockroaches. Not even run. What do you mean? Start stamping. They run too fast to try and stamp on them. I remember one, anyway. <laughs> I had a sleepless, I've had a few sleepless nights because of cockroaches. And they're horrible things. They're disgusting. They're dirty. They're filthy. They carry germs and everything else that's wrong with them. Would you become a cockroach? Even at the risk of getting stamped on in order to try and go and save these this species of cockroaches? And yet, the eternal Son of God took on the likeness of sinful flesh. And us becoming a cockroach doesn't even compare to Jesus muting his glory and becoming a human. Even making himself vulnerable unto death. To the point where actually it, it wasn't even a possibility, it was a reality, it happened. Jesus was killed by those that he made. So when we talk about Jesus being rich and becoming poor, we need some help having some perspective as to what that really means. And he done that so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Truly rich. <clears throat> now, let's consider. First Timothy 6 talks to us about riches. The phrase rich is used several times in just these few verses. Verses 17 to 19. And Paul's speaking to Timothy and he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, meaning proud or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now that puts a hole in the poverty gospel. You know, we, we don't advocate the prosperity gospel as much as we don't advocate the poverty gospel. You don't have to walk around in sackcloth and ashes and holy trainers or sandals and, you know, holy socks and never buy any new things and only have the most basic of provisions, eat oatmeal every day and, like... Um, yeah, oatmeal's good, but you're not going to eat every day. I remember um, some years back when one MP was trying to kind of address the issue of poverty in this country, and they said, oh, well, you know, people just need to um, just 
live, you know, frugal lives and, and just eat oatmeal. And yeah, I don't know if any of you remember that. It was scandalous. Mm. You see? But that's not what the Bible advocates. The Bible says that actually God richly provides everything for us to enjoy. When our heart's in the right place, we're able to enjoy these things without them destroying us. And yet, look, they are to do good, be rich in what? All right, so here's the, here's the get rich quick, yeah? Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. And thus, or as a result, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And this isn't just a temporary, this life future, but the eternal future. And so you see, Paul is breaking down how it is we store up treasures in heaven. How do we store up treasures in heaven? Speaking to the rich, that's us, remember, third richest city in the world. The rich in this present age, not to be proud, don't set your hope on uncertain riches, but on God. So don't do those two things. Don't be proud. Don't set your hope on uncertain on, on riches, but set your hope on God. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. In doing so, you are storing up treasure in heaven. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that's not saying, okay, so when you get to heaven, you're going to have a lavish life because you've stored up riches there. And so you're going to be taking hold of what's truly life. You're going to have a real life when you get to heaven if you do this. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that you're absolutely able to enjoy life now for what it really is because you hold things in proper perspective. We're sold this lie. Make money because money makes your life. But it's not money that makes the man. That's not true life. Thomas Akempis said this, let temporal things serve your use, but let the eternal be the object of your desire. Let temporal things serve your use, their tools, their resources to bring glory to God. But let the eternal be the object of your desire. And so this is, this is, this is where we really need to ask the Lord to help us to, to cleanse our hearts and purge our hearts. Because we watch MTV Cribs and we see, you know, Lloyd Grossman, whose house is this? And through the keyhole and we kind of aspire to this life thinking as if this is, this is what life, this is what living is. Jesus said, I am life. I am life. And so we need to consistently wrestle with ourselves because there isn't any point at which any of us can say, you know what, my heart is pure before the Lord and there is no, no temptation towards any riches whatsoever inside of me. I am void of that. There will be something that will come and test that. Absolutely and certainly. And so the antidote is to share and sow. So, looking at Galatians 6, first and foremost, we see a principle that is emphasized here in the first couple of verses. One who is taught the word would really do okay if they shared. Um, one who is taught the word has the option to kind of just contribute maybe. One who is taught the word thank you, must share all good things with the one who teaches. That's a principle. 
Now, this is a principle that comes from the Old Testament. So this isn't new news. This isn't just a, a, a New Testament invention. This is something that has been consistent since God had a people. In later times, from the time of Moses forward, it was given structure and definition. And at that time, the tithe was introduced. Now, the tithe is basically the giving of 10% of an individual's income. And the tithe was a, a legal requirement. And it wasn't just a religious requirement, but it was also a social requirement. The 10% was given to the Levites, who out of the 12 tribes were known as the priestly tribe. And in the book of Numbers, when the children of Israel went in to take the land, and the land was divided up amongst the 12 tribes, Levi was not given a plot of land. They were not given a portion of land. But their remit was to be provided for by all of the other tribes because they were the ones who would be um, doing priestly service unto the Lord on the people's behalf. So they were doing the very important job of representing the people to God. That was the job of a priest. And they would lead the people in God's word, and they would offer sacrifices and offerings unto the Lord on behalf of the people, most importantly, in order to atone for the sin of the people. And so they had the Passover that they celebrated, and the, the, priest, the, the high priest at that time would go into the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle, or later the temple, and would go before God making the sacrifice for the year as it relates to atoning for the people's sin. And so because of this focus that they had that was to be undivided, they weren't given land where they would be farmers, like growing food or raising cattle or doing those things. They already had their focus. They needed to be focused on serving the Lord on behalf of the people. <clears throat> so that's where this term tithing or tithe comes from. And actually, when you look at the Old Testament, we see that the tithe wasn't just 10%. So every third year, they had to give 20%. If they didn't have crops or cattle, this is the, the people, um, or if they didn't want to give their crops or cattle, they could redeem their tithe, those, that, those food products that they were supposed to be offering, and they could give money in exchange for it. But they would, have to, they, would, they would have to add a fifth more to their tithe. And so in this, we see that it was quite a complex system of giving that was intended towards sharing the burden of provision for the Levites and also showing benevolence to those who were in need. So children, the children of Israel were a nation as much as they were the people of God and under God, God made their national law, their civil law. God done it. God ruled everything and dictated everything. It's not like here, you know, we come to church and we have our kind of, you know, code of conduct and practice and our culture here in the church. And then we go out in the world and we're subject to different laws. You just have to walk into a school and you know that we're under different laws when you see the things that they're teaching and how contrary it is to the word of the Lord. But it wasn't like that in the time of Israel. God dictated all of their laws, religious and social. And so the tithe was a means of providing welfare, 
benefits to those who were in need. Hence it amounting to more than 10%. And so, if we were to really say, should a Christian tithe today, my question would be, what kind of tithe are you talking? Because if you're going to go back into the Old Testament and start talking about tithing, you've got to look at the whole picture. Don't leave just a part of it. 10% is just one aspect of it. It amounted to around 23, 25% in total if you add it all up. And so what we see is that actually there are many things within our culture that come from biblical principle. So the welfare system that we have in this country is something that was established by Christian influence based on biblical principle. The notion of people paying taxes in order to help contribute to those who are in need. In order that people, all people would be able to have a share in, in care and resources and provision. It comes from the Bible. And so let's not confuse issues. Actually, the New Testament does speak about tithing, but in a retrospective sense. It does speak about the tenth, but we see Jesus talk about it. We see it referenced in Hebrews, and it's always talking back about what used to happen. There isn't anywhere in the New Testament that talks about the fact that Christians are obligated to give a tenth. Now, I would tend to agree with the person who says, it's not something that we're required to do, but it should be something we're inspired to do. What's 10% of 20 pounds? It's two pounds. Doesn't sound like a lot. And if you, were, if you had 20 pounds and you had to give a tenth, it feels like it's a lot easier to give two pounds. But what's 20% of 200,000 pounds? A lot of mercy. <laughs> and this is where our real struggle comes in. Because we have so much, we feel like we have so much to lose. And we forget where we got it from and who it belongs to. Now, in as much as tithing as a principle is not taught in the New Testament as a requirement, dutiful... Burden sharing is taught in the New Testament. And so we see it here. This notion that those who are serving the Lord ought to be supported by those who are benefiting from their service unto the Lord. It's the same principle of how the Levites were provided for. This is the New Testament translation of that. And in the same way that in the Old Testament it was consistent, regular, and systematic, so is it meant to be in the New Testament. <clears throat> one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now imagine, next week we came and we said to you, you know what, there's going to be no more Ecclesia. Um, you know, we're going to have our last Thanksgiving service and we're going to call it a day. We're going to dissolve the ministry. Um, we're not going to be continuing with church. Um, there'll be no more um, little lambs. Um, there'll be no more marriage counseling. There'll be no more bereavement support. There'll be no more... I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Just think about the ways in which you benefit from the ministry, even if it's just coming and sitting on a Sunday and being enlightened by Scripture and drawn closer to the Lord by reason of that sitting down in community group and being able to have it applied, being able to have one-to-one -one conversations. Imagine if we just said, look, you know what? This is unsustainable. We're just going to call it a day. What would that mean to you? That there would be no more ecclesia. And you might think, well, you know, I'll go and find another church like this. And the reality is that you could. But you come here for a reason. There's, there's a purpose in you being here, and 
I mean, God is among us. And he's doing a work among us in his own way. And in only the way that happens among us. What we see here is, that could be very much a reality in terms of calling it a day and dissolving things. If people were not and are not faithful to this instruction. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So, you will get what you pay for. If you pay for what you get. See, it's not, oh, you pay first and then you get. You know, there's been times when we've been tempted to, you know, put ticket price on the door on a Sunday morning. Not really. That was a joke. You, you were actually meant to laugh. <laughs> Swipe your card as you enter. We take oyster payments. <laughs> no, there is a sense in which we give out of the abundance of what God has given to us those who are in ministry here. And it's not dependent or reliant on a gate fee or, or prepayment. You don't have to pre-order your service. <laughs> Imagine. But in turn, if you resource those who are providing, then you are enabling more to be provided. As Christians, we kind of have this mentality that salvation's free, so, so should everything else be. It's not healthy. And it's not good. Because in one way, what we're doing is we're actually not appreciating the true value of salvation. And that, and that salvation costs someone something. Who did it cost? It cost Jesus his very life. And so, in that, we have an obligation and a commitment. And fundamentally, if you don't replenish the worker, then the worker is not able to do the work as well. You know, people come to us at all different times, in all different ways, with all kinds of expectations. And, you know, we, we had a members meeting a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you know what, fundamentally, we have to decide as a church what we want. It's, it's not just up to us as elders. Oh, you know, why don't we do this ministry? Or why don't we have this provision? Or why don't we have, the, like, why is it this? Why isn't this like that? And you go, oh, them other churches. And I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. What do we want? Because we're the ones we are going to resource it. It doesn't just happen. The same way these chairs don't just appear. People come and give of themselves, and we'll talk more about time and um, talent and time and next week. People give of themselves for it, and everything. In that's what the Bible says. You reap what you sow. Everything requires some kind of investment. And not just of time and talent, but of money. And so here we see the commitment, the necessary commitment which must be consistent, systematic, and ongoing to supporting the work of the ministry from which you are being fed. Now, it's interesting because that word share is the word koinonia in Greek. Some of you may recognize that if you've been around a little bit which means fellowship. It's the word that we use for fellowship. And again, there's this sense of sharing with one another, sharing in one another's lives, and this is put in very practical terms. 
It's like, it's not just sharing good times. It's not just sharing, you know, encouragement. It's not just sharing, you know, your, 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 your sorrows and your woes. But it's sharing the burden of financial responsibility together. And there's a camaraderie in that. And there's a bond that is formed in that. How many of you would like to run a house and have a lodger and them to be living in your house for free? Eating out your house, burning your electricity, can't get on the internet because they're rinsing your broadband with their big downloads, and they're not contributing anything whatsoever. Does that even sound healthy? And so, it's, it's, it's a sad thing that Often as Christians, we are, as it relates to Christ, like leeches. You know what leeches feed on? And they will drain a beast of its blood and keep it moving. Let us not be leeches to the blood of Christ. Now listen, it's interesting because when we look at the context of Galatians 6. What does it say? It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Think about relationally what's going on here. Someone's they're in weakness, they're in sin, and there's a call there for the body to, to come and minister. And share in restoring and uplifting and building up that person. And yet, what? Keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's a necessity for us to do that, being mindful of ourselves. And then it says what? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, it almost seems random to go from this conversation about this incident here to then start talking about giving and sharing. But it's not random. Because bearing the relational burden is resourced by sharing the financial burden. And so, it's a continuation of the sharing instruction, the sharing admonish, ad, admonishment. Now, we see this in First Timothy chapter 5. And we'll come back to the first clause of that in a moment. But verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so in the context, it's talking about first and foremost, supporting those who are in need. And remember, I said there's, there's two types of principle that the Old Testament established. There was the support for the, those who were in ministry and support for those who were in need. And so there was the sharing of the burden of provision for the Levites, and there was the sowing towards supporting those in need. And again, we see in 1 Timothy 5, the two things are being put together. I'm focusing, it's not always in the same order, but I'm focusing on the um, ministry first. Let those who are elders, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And so they would have a welfare system because it wasn't um, established in the way that we have it in our society. And the church would help provide for those who were in genuine need and unable to help themselves. Hence the reference to those who were widows. And it wasn't just anyone, but even in the context of that, let the elders who labor in preaching and teaching be given double honor. And the word honor wasn't just respect. Like, you know, 
Take the front seat, Pastor. I'll drop you home, but you don't have to sit in the back. You know, it's, it's not, that's not what it's, it's talking about, money. And so, there's a sense in which, if there's provision being made for those who are in need, then those who are serving in ministry should be getting at double that. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So it's conditional. And, you know, there are some, I would dare say, let me just say colleagues in ministry, <laughs> recognizing that I am among them, who, you know, yeah, the Lord is just moving today. We're not going to have any preaching. We're just going to, let's just sing praise. Praise him, praise him, praise him. And that happens a certain amount of times you get to the point where you think, hmm, so you didn't really actually kind of prepare this week. <laughs> you know? I mean, once, and you might be kind of like, hmm, okay, it's, it's, it's different. Let's, let's just give ourselves to the Lord and praise God and let him have his way. And then it's, repeatedly, you're just kind of like, hmm. Now, I'm not even trying to be a hater. Because I know that there are many people in ministry, they're, they're bivocational, they work a full-time job. And you know what? Preaching the Bible ain't no easy thing, you know. It's, it's not light work. <laughs> Those who know, know. <laughs> Let him who has ears hear. <laughs> it's not light work. And so when it says labor, you know, work hard. Like, like, a, like a laborer on a building site, you know, they're out there, five in the morning in the cold, gloves on, shoveling, and people are like, yeah, them guys are hard working. That's what this is saying about those who, who are really about preaching and teaching. And it says what? For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the, treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so again, there's this sense of the ox is already doing the work. He's not waiting to be fed. I'm not moving until you feed me some grain. No, the ox is out there treading out the grain. And in those moments when he wants to eat, he just puts his head down and he just munches and then he just keeps it going. And it, re it replenishes his strength as he's out there working. He's already doing the work. But don't, don't muzzle him. Let him eat. No, 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 no. You can't have that. That's my profits you're eating right there. Oh, hold on. But how are you even able to get that gain if it wasn't for the... All right, don't feed the ox and watch what happens. He's going to drop dead. And so this is what the scripture's saying. Now, George Mueller spoke about this. I mentioned him last time. And, you know, I remind you, he's the guy from the 19th century. He cared for over 10,000 orphans. And... He, through prayer, um, received one and a half million pounds, 86 million at today's prices. And he talked about the necessity to, to seek God in order to be enabled to give. In order to be enabled to give. Not enabled in in to get, but enabled to give. And he said the more that he gave, the more he was able to give because of that which God entrusted to him. And so you might say, yeah, well, what's, what's George Mueller's secret? You know, I mean, look at that money, 86 million. I mean, I, I would give away that if I had 86 million. <laughs> We've already had that conversation. Look what George Mueller said. Now, I do not say imitate me, George Mueller, but I say seek to give. If it be ever so little, to give systematically. If it be only the 20th part of your income, give systematically. No, he's not even preaching the tenth. You must give the tenth, and that's what I done, and I wasn't cursed. The windows of heaven were opened unto me, and I was blessed, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Be like me. No, that's not what he said. He said even if it's like, all right, it's not a tenth, a twentieth. Half of a tenth. Okay. But just commit and do it. 
consistently, systematically, and you will find a blessing to your what? Not your wallet, not your bank account. This frees us from covetousness. I'm telling you, if you've never tried it, I remember at Christmas talking about when I discovered the joy of giving. And I bought my dad some aftershave for Christmas. And it was, it was just the joy of giving. It's a blessing to the soul. It creates a liberation when these things no longer have hold on us. We're holding them lightly. You will find a blessing to your soul. And the blessing with regard to stewardship will be such that you will be encouraged more and more to go on in this way. And so there is that giving consistently and systematically to the work of the Lord, to those who minister. And yet also, beyond that, now there's a warning. You know what? And this, this, we see this, I shared from Haggai um, a few months back. And we see it resonating right here. For the one who sows to his own flesh, to your own gratification and desires, will from the flesh reap corruption. Just being consumed with satisfying ourselves will cause us to become consumed. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary. And, you know, we have these verses. Oh, you reap what you sow and we quote them all the time. Think about the context. Don't grow weary in doing well. It's talking about money. That's the context. Now, it's a principle, but the primary meaning is don't, don't get tired of giving to the work of the Lord. <coughs> Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then we see the second dynamic of giving. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, one thing I've noticed that as Christians, we can be very much more motivated to give to causes and to, um, you know, even to charities and so on. Um, you know, the charities, they meet us in the street, they knock on our doors, and they're not shy to, you know, if you just make a, a, a monthly standing order, it would help, you know, provide food for um, these orphan children or help these children at risk and da-da-da-da-da. And that's all, look, the Bible endorses that. The Bible endorses that. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but what? And especially who? And some of us, we got more love for the world than we have our own brothers and sisters in Christ. We're more ready to give and support them than we are each other. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so there is a sense of sharing in the burden of provision for those in ministry and yet also sowing into the needs of those who can't do better. And throughout the scripture we see that giving to the needs of those who can't do better is exactly presented in that way. And so even when we look back at 1 Timothy 5 and we consider the admonition to look after the widows, it draws a distinction it says here, look, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. So, not less than 60, I mean, we call that pension age, right? <laughs> having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. So, even as somebody who is not able, they don't have earning power in a, in a male matriarchal society, male-dominated, they don't have the freedom to go out and earn. And at this point, they're over 60, so they may not even have the strength to be able to go and do that. And yet, they're still having a reputation for being of good works. They're not idle. They're not gossips. They're not busybodies. They're not... They're contributing constructively to the community of faith. 
If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. But they're widows! I mean, that's, that's heartless. Why would you give it to the older ones and not to the younger ones? Refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. And this isn't talking about, well, they want to marry again and it's, it's against the, the Lord's will for them to marry again having been widowed. That's, the Bible does not teach that. It's talking about marriages that lead to them abandoning their former faith, i.e. marrying unbelievers. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. Saying what they should not. So it's looking at their character as well. It's not just, oh, well, you know, you, you need some benefits and you need some helpers. But what kind of character is this person of? Are they of godly character? And so he says in verse 14, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. And it's real out here for single people. It's, I mean, this, this pictures the conflict. Because we're talking about a single woman, fundamentally, and it could be a single man. But you're single and you're desiring to be married and it feels like there's not many options. And the men of the world are looking very attractive. They're looking like plausible options. But it says that to do that is to stray after Satan. No matter how Colgate, ultra bright white his teeth is, how, you know how much mortgage and what kind of job he's got. And please, 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 please trust in the Lord. Now, this is a whole other conversation for another day because, you know, I can't even lie. You know, I feel like there's something wrong. There's something that we're not quite getting. Um, I don't think the answer is for unbelievers to marry unbelievers. But when I see um, women in singledom, um, desiring to be married and it just not really happening, I'm thinking there's got to be something, Lord, that needs to be done here somehow. Um, and that's just me as a pastor with a pastor's heart thinking that. But nonetheless, the Lord is good and his timing is perfect. And, you know, for any of you as singles who've hung around with married people, you know, you would know, they're not just like gassing you up to run and get married quickly to just anyone. Paul said, I'd rather be single and serve the Lord. We don't hear that preached a lot. We don't present in this church marriage as the ideal and treat people as like second-class Christians if they're not married. Singleness has its challenges and so does marriage. Both need grace. Simple as that. <clears throat> and so, we're to help those with genuine need who can't help themselves and they were of good character. And even as elders, there are various ways in which we endeavor to try and do that. And so, you know, we have a, a bereavement policy. And if somebody's had a bereavement and they're in need, and, you know, it's, it's such an expensive and challenging and emotionally trying time. And so out of that which is given, we will give towards supporting people in that place. Um, and various other initiatives that we have that are us expressing the nurture and the care and the love of the body to those in their time of need. There are probably more things that can be done if there were more resources to do so. And so let us be encouraged. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we shall reap. And if we're sowing into the kingdom, we will see the kingdom enlarged. Isn't that what we want? Like we know this life is passing. We know this life is fleeting. In our hearts, we know this. Even when we, you know, we achieve our goals, hashtag winning. And we're just like, 
we're there and we're just like, okay, is this it? Because it's Jesus that gives meaning to these things. Otherwise, they don't mean anything at all. And so, let us be challenged to share in the burden of resourcing the local ministry and sowing into the needs of those who cannot do better. And, you know, I don't really feel any way to preach this as one who would be a beneficiary because I'm quite happy to to work. I feel like Paul. You know what? I feel like it's good to boast in the fact that you've had the gospel free of charge. But at the same time, I can be guilty of pride and the biblical principles are there and the needs are such that we would be better served if we were more available than having to work. But if as a church we decided that that's what it's going to be, then I'm not going to complain. I'll work. God, by his grace, has given me skills and experience and I put them to use and I pay my way. So, you know, I'm I'm not begging anybody anything out here. I'm just saying, look, Like Paul said to the Philippians, it's not that I desire a gift, but I desire to see the fruit of how this impacts your life. The fruit of liberation from materialism and covetousness. Amen? I'm going to ask the team to come back. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.